Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. It's been quite a busy week. Donald Trump scores another big victory, this time in the New Hampshire primary, defeating former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley by over 30,000 votes. Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, didn't even make it to the primary. He bowed out of this race a couple of days before the voting began in New Hampshire. But today, we're going to focus our attention on the Democratic candidates. Yes, candidates, plural. You might not have been paying much attention, but President Joe Biden is actually being challenged by Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips and spiritual leader and author Marion Williamson. I'm trying to do him a favor to show up. And if he does, and he does really well in the primaries, and suddenly his numbers rise and he can beat Donald Trump, my goodness, I'd get behind him in a heartbeat. But get in the game. On Tuesday in New Hampshire, Biden trounced them, even though he wasn't officially on the ballot. So what is the point of challenging an incumbent president who has basically sewn up his party's nomination? Does it ever work? Writer and political scientist Walter Shapiro is joining me today to talk about it. Walter, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast. Oh, I'm delighted, David. So we are fresh off the results of the New Hampshire primary, and I want to focus on the Democratic side for a moment, if you don't mind, because Joe Biden... Obviously, his name was not on the ballot and he was a write-in candidate because they violated the rules and uh, kept their first-in-the-nation position, even though the DNC had set a different calendar with South Carolina first. But Dean Phillips, a little-known congressman from Minnesota, actually getting 20 percent of the Democratic primary vote up there in New Hampshire. What do you make of that? Is there anything we can learn about Biden's current standing within his own party? Yeah. Joe Biden will be the nominee of the Democratic Party, and Dean Phillips will um, probably get a talk show somewhere um, and go on to the oblivion of a former Democratic member of the House and um, the most um, organized Democrats. I mean, the fundamental point is really hard to put much weight on an outlaw primary with write-in votes with no delegates in the best of cases. But for Dean Phillips to not even hit 20 percent after year of hype about alternatives to Biden, I would have to say if Marianne Williamson has such an ability to grasp the future, you would think that she would have intuited that she would, on her second go around, she would only get 5,000 votes in New Hampshire. <laughs> you would think she may have endured that. You know, I was uh, with Marion Williamson on the campaign trail in New Hampshire last week. She made her way around a bar at a restaurant called, as you know, the Puritan Back Room. And, oh, sure. And she determined that uh, male voters were nicer to her than female voters. That was her takeaway from her handshaking at this one bar. God, there's a joke about Puritan in there somewhere, <laughs> but I can't get it. That's OK. So, <laughs> Walter, that being said, and I and I take your point about 
obviously Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrats. Is he going to be a strong nominee for the Democrats is the big question, I think, now that Donald Trump has all but ended at the starting gate, the Republican nomination process, to what a general election may look like. And even though Dean Phillips is not going to collect many delegates, if any at all, as he goes through this process, I mean, he was out there on our network on CNN this morning uh, giving an interview saying, you know, Joe Biden can't win. And having a Democrat say that is there is there potential for Dean Phillips to actually make Joe Biden's job harder since he will be the eventual nominee? Probably not, because we now go on to South Carolina, which is a real primary where Democrats will vote. Um, it, given the fact that Joe Biden handpicked it to go first. If Dean Phillips gets 10 percent of the vote, oh, I hate to make predictions, but shall we say my sense is New Hampshire may be his high watermark. What you do have is, and this is hard for me to say, I think Joe Biden's decision a year ago to run for another term instead of being the transition president he promised to be is one of the most self-indulgent, egoistic decisions in recent American political history that fundamentally Biden convinced himself in his 80s that he is the indispensable man. Had Biden announced, say, pick a date, May 3rd, 2023, that he was not a candidate, what would have happened is a vigorous year-long fight for the Democratic nomination. And the point is, yes, there would have been tensions over race, and does Kamala Harris entitled to it? But largely, you know about the press like I do. We love people who win. We are sycophantic on the way up, vicious on the way down, but sycophantic on the way up. And whoever won the Democratic nomination would be surrounded, he or she would be surrounded by such an aura of heroism and such gushy press clips that that person would have a leg up in a general election with Donald Trump. And basically, one would not argue about comparative cognitive impairment. I think Biden is totally competent to be president. I think he's also an unbelievably uninspiring nominee. And that is what worries me the most. I wish to hell he was, weren't running. That said, history has taught us one thing. The biggest, easiest way for a party to lose the presidency is for an incumbent president to be challenged for the nomination. Once Biden decided to run, I think the Democrats were locked in place. The history of prior races is sad, if you want me to go through it. Ted Kennedy, 1980. Uh, Ronald Reagan, 1976. The Democratic Party ripping apart in 1968 after Gene McCarthy got 42 percent in the New Hampshire primary. And maybe Buchanan, who was running against Bush for breaking the read my lips, no new taxes pledge, would have faded away, except in exchange for his endorsement, the Republicans gave him a primetime speaking gig at the Houston convention. So you're saying, though, that Biden, Phillips, Williamson doesn't really match up to those other uh, historic notes that you just gave us as a potentially damaging primary to Biden. So uh, um, it's more it's more like Pete McCluskey opposing Nixon for renomination 72. Th there you go. So this contest sort of being a nominal one, does that mean this is a bit of a, a setup for you here? Does that mean you anticipate all that Democratic hand wringing around Joe Biden to dissipate? 
No, I mean, it will continue through the election. But what the Democrats have to bank on is everything gets a little better for Joe Biden. The economic numbers get a little better. If there is a, a ceasefire in Gaza, it may recede. Um, Biden's support of Israel may recede as an issue dividing the Democratic Party. But basically, what Biden and the Democrats have to bank on uh, is that old reliable, negative partisanship. The fear of Donald Trump, who talks about retribution himself in the second term, in his next term in the White House, that is the motivator for Democrats. And that is what I really think will cause Democrats to come home in September and October, despite Biden's limitation as a candidate. And do you think that is necessary and sufficient or just necessary and unclear if it's sufficient? I think necessary and unclear if it's sufficient. I think the track record of people predicting presidential races in January is a little less than 100 percent. I don't even mean a prediction, Walter. I just mean as the thrust of the Biden sales pitch to the American people, the anti-Trump sort of fear to put out there the negative partisanship, as you said, is a necessary component. But will there need to be other things? Well, there uh, is something called abortion. Right. And there is also who knows what new fears Trump will galvanize, what new issues Trump will come up with. Admittedly, Biden's paralysis on doing anything about the border is the second worst thing the Democrats have going for them other than Biden's age. And no small thing. Uh, No no small small thing. thing. Yeah. You know, you say what other fears Trump can generate. I also wonder how much Trump, who is proven at this, uh, not always to success, what he can do to expand the electorate and bring new people into it that aren't part of it yet. Except he didn't bring new people in in either Iowa or New Hampshire. Admittedly, the uh, weather in um, Iowa was a little, shall we say, calling it ghastly was probably charitable. But, But fundamentally... I don't see people waking up and say, you know, I didn't realize Donald Trump was running for president. You know, I really like him. I'm going to vote this time. Right. But his candidacy did, according to everyone I spoke to in New Hampshire, uh, contribute to what was the largest turnout election in New New Hampshire primary history. And he had the largest vote total of any candidate ever in the New Hampshire primary. Yeah. But uh, the, the overwhelming outpouring of independence for Nikki Haley, also was a major contributor. And fundamentally, you know about New Hampshire. These are professional voters. These are, these are people who take it seriously. I love New Hampshire. I wish the Democrats had not tried to defrock them. It was a stupid mistake on Biden's part. Because these people take it seriously. They vote. And they, they change their mind up until the last moment. So I hope New Hampshire is back in the number one slot for the Democrats in 2028. Walter, what presidential cycle, what number presidential cycle is this for you covering elections? The dirty dozen. Uh, My first was 1980. I have vivid memories of a fellow named George Bush who didn't need middle initials back then doing push-ups in the downtown YMCA in Des Moines, Iowa, to prove that he was up for the 80s and Ronald Reagan, that old man who I think was 67, wasn't up for the 80s. And Bush did win and stun Reagan by winning Iowa, only to lose in New Hampshire. Yes, now we've learned Donald Trump, the 
only non-incumbent Republican to win both Iowa and New Hampshire in the history uh, of those being up front in the nomination calendar. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to have a lot more with the New Republic's Walter Shapiro when we come back. Shopify's taking the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing for your retail store? Upgrade your point of sale system with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Get award-winning support and see why millions of businesses worldwide trust Shopify. Do retail right. Grab your $1 trial at shopify.com slash CNN. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. We're here with writer and political scientist Walter Shapiro. Walter, you wrote a piece for The New Republic last spring, and in it you wrote, quote, Not since the explosion of presidential primaries in the 1970s have the sentiments of a party's voters mattered as little as they do now. Can you tell me what you meant by that? What I meant by that is at that point, Joe Biden announced he was running. There was no organized opposition. And I I do not take Dean Phillips or Marianne Williams uh, as organized opposition. Uh, And that fundamentally, it was uh, Biden's running. He is our nominee. There, there, there's, no, there's no drama. There's no certainty. The poll numbers would not have mattered. Biden was running. And the Democrats, to their credit, figured out that opposing Biden for the nomination, I'm back to Gavin Newsom's line to Ron DeSantis in his debate, uh, his Florida versus California debate, saying to DeSantis, only one thing is clear. Neither of us are going to be on the presidential ticket in 2024. <laughs> that, that has proven to be true. So how about on the Republican side? I want to get your thoughts on this for a moment. I, it looks like right before I came in here, I checked the latest vote totals out of New Hampshire. They're not quite done tallying them all. But it looks like if you add Donald Trump's raw vote totals in Iowa to his raw vote totals in New Hampshire, two big wins for him, It's about 225,000 people that have voted for Donald Trump, and he's already sewn up the nomination and basically put it to bed. What does that say for somebody seeking to ultimately represent 330 million of us Americans that 225,000 votes is enough to make him, you know, the leader of the team for half the country, basically? Well, I mean, to some extent, it's always the irrationality of the early primaries, and it is one of the reasons why. We have never had a situation like this. Actually, the only parallel to a situation like this, when Bill Bill Bradley challenging Al Gore for the nomination in 2000, because of a series of heart scares, fell about 5,000 votes behind Gore and lost Iowa and New Hampshire. And basically, at the last minute, 
many of Bradley's votes among independents went to John McCain, who won New Hampshire by 20 points, even though the polls had him up by 10 points over George W. Bush. And after that, the Bradley campaign totally collapsed. The fact is the senator from New Jersey couldn't carry New Jersey on Super Tuesday. The star for the New York Knicks couldn't carry New York on Super Tuesday. But up until the eve of the New Hampshire primary, the 2000 Democrat race was competitive. Bradley raised as much money as Gore and was polling well. But we've not had a situation other than 2000 where it was only two candidates running for the nomination going into New Hampshire. Um, we had six candidates of serious weight uh, running on the Republican side in New Hampshire in 2016. So, I mean, to a large extent, it is really hard to say that I'm trying to think of what is 220,000. It's a little bigger than Des Moines, uh, a little bigger than Manchester, uh, about the size of Providence, Rhode Island. I think we might get it in, in population. That it is weird that this is the definitive number for the entire country. It that's, is weird, right? That's weird. Th th yeah. That said, <laughs> if someone has a route for Nikki Haley to win either South Carolina or Michigan three days later, um, I've yet to see it. And if she loses both of those, we're starting to get into real serious vote totals. That's assuming uh, she stays in to actually compete in those contests. We'll see. Yes. I wonder what the odds are that she will be a nominee, active nominee for the Republican nomination, say, a week from now. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent question. So let's put Nikki Haley to the side for a moment then and look at this Biden-Trump rematch. First of all, we don't see many examples of rematches in American presidential history. There are some. 1956, Eisenhower versus Stevenson. As I said, there are some, but but we don't have a ton of them. And to sort of go on here on how these look, what we do know from a lot of the public polling is that the American people seem wholly dissatisfied with both of these people and this option of a rematch. And I wonder what that says to you about uh, the contours of this race to come. As I said earlier, I think this is a race based on negative partisanship, because while the Trump true believers are enthusiastic for Trump, the larger universe of marginal Republicans, college-educated Republicans, are not enthusiastic for Trump. And other than the immediate cabinet, the, the extended Biden family, it is really hard to find a Democrat who wants to do handstands over a second Biden term. So to a large extent, it, it is an election of who do you hate more? Which is just a brutal thought when I think about covering this for the next 10 months, oh. because that that is not an inspiring American presidential election. No, but it was to some extent 2016. I remember standing outside of a polling place in southeastern New Hampshire, uh, talking to voters on Election Day 2016. And I remember um, a house painter coming out and say, and I asked him who you voted for. I'm doing my own little private exit poll. He said, it's a long story. I said, it's noon on Election Day. I got time. <laughs> he said, I was going to go in there and just vote for the Senate candidate. And then I looked at the ballot and decided I hated Hillary a little more than I hated Trump, so I voted for Trump. So we have been down this road before. There's no doubt about that, and it is a long road. We usually don't see general elections with this much lead time and focus as the story, because we don't normally see nominations wrap up quite so quickly. Uh, and it seems both the Trump and the Biden camp 
are very much wanting to begin that process of engaging in the general election. Even though you can make an argument that both campaigns retired and didn't say a word until, say, July 1, the country would be better off and the outcome in November of 2024 probably would not be different. Walter, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namoro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, February 2nd. Thanks so much for listening.